Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Vettel 1.0 Reboot Successful Loading Critical MG UK Failure System Failure. That is from Michael on Twitter. Runner-up on Twitter from Toto's Wolf. Le Clerical Error. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Look, you're all the way back in the United States. I preferred it when you were here. You know, I was thinking it was a lot of fun to do a review with all of us in the same room. It just makes all the communication that much easier. And it was fun to watch the race. It was fun to watch the race with somebody else who had a timing screen. Yes, I can also pretend it was fun to watch everybody. And I wasn't at all relieved to be watching it back on my own in isolation with headphones on shut off from the rest of the world. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by PR man Chris Stevens and Mr. Apex commentator. How's it going, Chris? Hey Spanners, it's been a, an enjoyable week of uh, reminiscing about the karting from last weekend. And making his debut, it's new Red Bull fan Nick Numbers Alexander, who we only bring on apparently to sabotage Red Bull's chances. That's not true. Um, just because we had a referendum doesn't mean that we have a plan in place for actually leaving Ferrari fandom. So um still carrying on with that for the time being. We voted Frexit. We're getting Frexit. All right, Matt, let's have a quick run over qualifying. Leclerc now nine victories in qualifying over his teammate Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, he's looking very difficult to uh, approach in qualifying. Vettel 
cannot get the car to go as fast as Leclerc. I mean, that's just it. And frankly, neither can Mercedes, nor can Verstappen or Red Bull or pretty much anybody else. I mean, Ferrari seem to have reached a place, finally, where they're able to do what they wanted to do at the beginning of the year and qualifying. But it's Leclerc who has the advantage right now over Vettel in a major way. It's fascinating to see that what we saw in Singapore, where the Ferrari suddenly not only was very quick in a straight line, but could uh, also get around the corners properly now. And we sort of have that confirmed. Okay, I just Chris, I'll just say for some reason your microphone now sounds absolutely terrible. It sounds like you're just talking through like a sponge and then you're in a bathtub as well. So something's going wrong there. I'll give you a chance to sort of have a little bit of a poke around. Matt, you were going to interject? interject? Well, as I am wont to do, I was simply going to clarify with actual facts what it is that Stevens was uh, scrabbling at there. Namely, into wit, they are almost as fast as Mercedes around the slow corners. They are faster around the high-speed corners, but they are still slower in the medium-speed corners. And that actually wound up being a bit crucial uh, because that allowed Botas, when he was defending, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, to always open up a gap down that straight when Leclerc was chasing him. Okay, let's just uh, move down the grid a little bit. Disappointing for Albon to, to not capitalize on having the third best car again. It's it's bad, isn't it, Nick? Because we've had high hopes for Albon, and I think we've kind of gotten used to this this Red Bull treadmill, and everybody's already thinking, oh, he's the next one off the list. It, incredibly unfair after only a few races. Yeah, um, I don't know that he's doing himself any favors just with the way that he conducts his interviews. And I'm not trying to be critical at all. Please don't send any hate mail, but he just doesn't seem to have that that confidence, that that swagger, that self, uh, you know, what's the word? Entitlement, I guess, that some other drivers have. So I just, I don't know that he's he's doing his best PR work there. Um, and it, it was a very unusual crash in in qualifying uh, to set himself up in the in the bad starting position that he had on Sunday. Um, and he did great on Sunday to get back up to where he did. Um, but unfortunately, he, you know, he was only in that position from his own mistake. Cool. Let's explore where the race was won and lost. Matt, this is where I turn over to you as our strategy expert. Or are you? Because you and me fell out this afternoon over how we thought the race was won and lost. So this should be interesting. But in a race that was... I hate to say dull, but we'll explore why the race didn't kick off and wasn't exciting. A lot of talk about the track. I've got some ideas about the track and why mechanically it's not really working out. Uh, But at least we had the strategy element and it kind of it played out in a way we could follow. And then, of course, we had the fascinating stuff with the Ferrari guys. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if we're going to talk about where the race was won and lost... Looking at the start normally is where we go. And it was critical for Ferrari to get Vettel in front of Hamilton. If you go back and look at races run at this race, when teams win, it's because they have a 1-2 and the second teammate protects the first teammate. Now, we sort of saw this happen in reverse order with Vettel and Leclerc. And now it looked like We were going to have the opposite with Leclerc and Vettel, especially with sort of the radio traffic that we picked up early on, seeming like they'd made a deal. 
he would let Vettel through. Vettel would give the place back. But as happens, when our plans encounter reality, it turns out that Vettel was actually pretty rapid in that first stint. And poor old Charles could not get close enough to be given the position back without yielding precious, precious seconds to the charging Lewis Hamilton behind. Okay, well, uh, can we just sort of break down that that slipstreaming? For people who were a bit confused, what would the aim have been? So why is this track particularly, is it just the length of the run down to the first corner that makes the, the slipstream so important? Um, it looked like, obviously, we now know that Ferrari were playing games about who was getting the slipstream and, and who was putting themselves where. But it did seem odd initially that Leclerc wasn't defending that inside line at all. So you can talk about Vettel having a big overspeed, but you can't deny that Leclerc did not shut the door at all. He didn't look to, like to shut the door. It was a prearranged thing. He kind of just led him through. It looked a bit odd to start with. Like he would normally fight a little bit harder than that in the corner. Obviously, it made a little bit more sense after that. But as far as the slipstreaming goes, it's a pretty smart bit of work to think, oh, well, I can put my car in a position where Vettel gets the slipstream and Hamilton doesn't. Yeah, no, it was it was remarkably clever. It was good tactics. And it was wise of Ferrari. I think, you know, people will, will be giving Vettel an awful lot of stick for saying, you know, make him catch me. But I don't think he's wrong to have said that at that point in the race. And I say this because, of course, as you may know, I want to race karting. Oh and God. if you go back and watch Chris's <laughs> brilliant commentary, he says, oh, they're not attacking each other and they're pulling a pretty big gap. Now, granted, Botas was never going to attack Hamilton. However, by not by not squabbling over who was leading in the early part of the race, they were able, I think Vettel was seven plus seconds up on Hamilton around uh, lap 20, was it 24 or so that, that Leclerc went in? Anyway, you get my point. Uh, Nick, before you get in, I will have to clarify because Matt is clearly determined to make lots of references to the karting because he won the loser final. Oh, sorry, the C final uh, with a very, very good drive as well. That's a marked improvement. But the video package that we did for the event will be out at least by Monday morning. So if you're listening to this on Monday and you fancy checking out what it was like for us at the karting event, the video is pretty well put together for the budget. Uh, we're incredibly pleased with it. We hope you will enjoy watching us race and be tempted to come down and join us for the next event. Nick. Okay. So I want to talk about Ferrari plan A. So even um, I, I think Sky commentary might've had it a bit wrong. They, they, kind of making it sound like, uh, you know, Vettel gets by, he gets in first, they're running one, two, and he is abandoning the plan or overruling the plan or rebelling against the plan to let Leclerc by. But it's as Matt was alluding to that plan. A even is not going to work unless they pull a gap to the Lewis Hamilton so that they don't lose so much time in the, in the switch. If he's right behind both of them and they do the switcheroo, then Vettel's going to be vulnerable. So you're making all sorts of facial expressions. So by all means, uh, do okay. I have this wrong? Uh, no, this is your opinion. And as far as the listeners are concerned, I like to give the impression that I value everyone's opinion. Uh, but you two are both making out that somehow Seb was noble in his intentions were noble. And it was like, of course, 
I will honor this agreement that we made. I, that's not meant to be a German accent. We, I will honor this agreement, but it will hurt the team if I slow down now. It will hurt the team to let Lewis in. As if, had Lewis not been there, he would have been like, oh, absolutely, Charles, on you go. I think he would have done everything today to try and make sure that swap didn't happen. And I'm not saying that I blame him. Okay, so I, I don't actually feel that I've expressed my opinion yet because my uh, my opinion is is uh, is a lot stronger than that. I I don't like Plan A at all. I and I don't know if they. I assume that they made it after the results on Saturday, but I don't like any race strategy where one of the two drivers in the team is not allowed to win. And that's basically what I what I saw today was that. There was there was nothing that Sebastian was going to be able to do that was going to allow Ferrari to let him win. It was like, well, you know, Charles got pulled, so he has to finish first. Is kind of the impression. Well, okay, okay we'll, go ahead and tear into that. Well, okay, we'll go we'll go to Chris. Chris, is it that, or is it that the agreement was that, like, in the early phase of the race, Leclerc would get his lead back after sacrificing the slipstream? Well, Leclerc was told not to defend turn two, and so. I don't know what Ferrari were expecting to happen at any point in that race. Seb was always going to get a really nice draft. Do you remember in 2017 when Bottas won his first race? It's exactly how he took the lead in that race. They just massively complicated things for themselves by, by having this arrangement. Why not just let them go at it? Because we saw Seb had the pace to pull away from Charles. Now, obviously, there's things to consider the dirty air, the tires overheating. This track is rubbish for racing on, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, the one reason to not do that is so that you have a Ferrari finish in first position. Plain and simple. Be it Vettel, be it Leclerc, Ferrari want victories. Every championship is off limits to them, but the more victories they take now, the better it is for overall team morale. And if you're looking at uh, Formula One as a team sport, which it absolutely is, then yeah, the answer is we will we will run a play and then we will sort it out. We will sort it out later. And that is exactly what they did. Yeah, no, I like that description, Matt. They they ran a play and I love team tactics. I personally, I love it when the teammates get together to give each other slipstreams in qualifying and the team that's able to do that better gets an advantage in qualifying. I've always liked those team shenanigans. I don't even mind it when the B teams get involved. If we go to full customer teams, then I don't mind that. I don't mind like roadblocks of Toro Rosso's basically pitting on the last lap just so they can stay out and inconvenience a Ferrari. I'm down with that. I think all that strategizing is good. And Ferrari have come under a lot of criticism today. Mainly, you know, I've, I've played my part. I tweeted, wow, Ferrari are back. Uh, they've magically turned a red one, two into a silver one, two. However, they they went for a tactic and I liked the tactic. It was a complicated one and it was essentially then came down to man management. The, 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 the situation today really made me think back to Rosberg Hamilton and made me go, didn't Mercedes do a good job with Hamilton and Rosberg? Because this is the other option when you don't have control of your drivers because they clearly don't have both drivers just eating out of the palm of their hands. It goes wrong because the plan was let let Leclerc back and Vettel having got ahead 
he was like, it's hard to give up a lead of a Grand Prix. I bet it's near impossible to give up the lead of a Grand Prix. But the, the agreement was there. You will not be obstructed. You will get the slipstream. Charles will put himself in the right place to make sure you get the slipstream and Lewis doesn't. You overtake me. We swap back. Done deal. And then Seb is there going, well, I mean, I was going pretty fast. I got, I got a pretty good start. I was probably going to do it anyway, so I'm not going to do it. And then he starts coming up with the rationalizations. Well, Lewis is too close. Let's see where we're at in a couple of laps. So, yeah, that's 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 how I see it, Chris. T- to be fair, I think he had a point about Lewis being too close. Or it would have made sense maybe later in the Grand Prix when things are spread out a little bit. But after five laps where Lewis is still a couple of seconds on on your tail... No, that's that's not the kind of game I'd be playing. Should we quickly run through the radio calls as they came out? That might be a sort of nice scene set because I I think this is crucial almost in the history of Formula One, especially if Ferrari are are title contenders next season. So just quickly, it was um, uh, to Leclerc, Sebastian will let you buy the next lap. That was on lap six. And then to uh, Sebastian Vettel says, you know, I'd have got him anyway, so let's break away for another two laps. That's like delaying the inevitable. That's like, can I read a story before lights out? Or, you know, I need to be tucked in. I haven't had my glass of water yet. I need the toilet. Okay, so as a parent, I recognise these tactics. Then he gets, this is this is key, he gets a specific order. Let Charles buy. That's lap seven. Let Charles buy. And Matt, I think this was this was where Vettel really is playing his game within the team. He says he'll have to close up. And and that's it. That's where the fireworks started. It is. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we may have heard similar things before in the Hamilton-Rosberg era. Am I wrong about that, Mr. Stevens? Hungary, 2014. (laughs) Make him catch me. I'm not going to slow down for him. He's got to go faster. Uh, This is not an unknown driver tactic. Okay, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was a situation where... They were on different strategies and Rosberg was was coming up behind him. So slightly different here because last week in Singapore, again, Vettel got a better strategy. Whereas the counter to that is, you know, the difference with Mercedes was Bottas, don't slow down so you don't overtake him. That was like a team order because you've got a one-two. This was different. This was multi-21 all over again, wasn't it? Or multi, what are the numbers? 16 and 5? This is multi-516 where they had an agreement and I can't, I know people will go, well, you're anti-Vettel, but if that was the agreement, you can't start throwing caveats in after the fact. You needed that caveat in before the agreement where we go, I will let you back unless I made such a good start that it is clear I would have got you anyway. Because that's, I don't know, that that's the difference for me, Matt. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think the agreement was as nailed on as everyone is pretending it to be. I mean, I think the idea was to give Leclerc the place back because he yielded without opposition. But again, I'll make from a practical point of view the argument that given the pace differential between the two of them, which I see people in the chat room arguing, well, that's because Vettel was in front. Well, yeah, it could be. But regardless, the gap to Hamilton wasn't such that if you're Vettel, you want to give up two seconds a lap to Hamilton. And Ferrari should not have given that time up uh, because they knew they were going to be up against the wall late in the race and they need every second they can get. So conveniently, with Leclerc's tires going off earlier, Ferrari took the very obvious decision to simply pit him first 
undercut Vettel and solve the problem that way. And thus it was done, you know, without too much muss or fuss, in my opinion. Muss or fuss, except from the radio of Charles Leclerc, who had been told off. It sounds like he'd been told off, like, don't do that whinging on the radio again we'll sort it out when we get home but nick you must have been a fan of this it was you know it was married couples up and down the country must have been recognizing this today listening to the race coverage of the uh so yeah charles we're going to try and sort it out you're okay yeah charles yes fine you sure you're okay yep yep completely fine i'm cool except for these several things that i'm now going to tell you yeah we will uh we'll talk about it after the race it's it's funny he it's only been a week since Singapore. I mean, time has really flown. Uh, and he was saying that he, he wasn't going to do this anymore on the radio. Um, but clearly that goes out the window when things don't go according to the plan that you have. All right, Matt. So we, we're going to get to that, that pit stop swap. Clearly Ferrari had decided, no, we're in charge. We're making that swap happen. And what we saw was huge. This is an absolutely monumental moment in ferrari history in the current f1 era they had the four-time world champion in the lead not wanting to give it up ferrari decided they wanted to swap them and they undercut leclerc but not just by one lap they undercut him until the undercut was done yeah they did but there was a tactical reason for that as well namely into it they were concerned about the possibility of, and everyone please get your irony detectors out now, the safety car. So the longer into the race they could run Vettel in the lead, the more inoculated they become against the probability of a safety car benefiting Mercedes. No, I mean, that's factual. That is absolutely, every single lap, Vettel is in front of Hamilton. If a safety car comes out, Vettel pits in front of Hamilton, and they've they've protected themselves. Okay. And as we saw, I know ooh, I, I feel like I stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest here. If I'm if I'm looking at people's facials, <laughs> triggered, triggered. But it, it is it is absolutely true. In the last race, they kept Leclerc out a long time, and they basically sacrificed him to let Vettel win. And I, I think the general sense of the team was that they owed Le- Leclerc this opportunity. And that's why when Vettel immediately went to the radio, lap after they pit him, go, oh, my tires are going off. You heard you heard crickets from Ferrari team radio about him coming in yeah. and pitting. They kept him out until they could clearly see he was losing too much time. Okay, Nick, that's Matt's not wrong. That is a fact that in by doing that, they had some inoculation to the safety car. It's the motivation I'm concerned with. Is that their motivation? I, I don't think so. I think that's what you call plausible deniability. Oh, no, we weren't hanging you out to dry. No, we were covering the safety car. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't think about that at all. I don't think that's what they were doing. Um, maybe he complained about his tires going off one lap before it really started to hurt him. But I think they were losing too much time for that argument to make sense to me. Trouble is, they'll publicly say that well, Leclerc's tyres were, were going off quicker than Seb's, and that's why we boxed him first. Trouble with that is it does kind of go with what we've seen across the season that Charles doesn't quite have the the tyre management of, of Seb. So I guess if you were to line up those pieces together, it does form a convincing narrative. 
Okay, I'm I'm going to do the Occam's razor here. So Occam's razor sometimes misinterpreted as just what's the simplest thing. I think for me, Occam's razor is which situation do you have to manufacture least effort into? Which which situation requires the least new information? And I think to me, it is perfectly clear that on the pit wall, they could not swap their two drivers. They absolutely had to do it in the pit stop. Ordinarily, if if it was what Matt is saying and it was safety car go long, I think Vettel would have gone a lot longer. Leclerc came in for an undercut. He wasn't close enough for the one lap undercut. He was close enough for a several, a few lap undercut. And they did it the second that the swap was made. That's when they chose to bring Vettel in. The reason for Vettel coming in second and at that time was to swap the Ferraris. And I, I'm not personally hearing any argument against it. Although, Matt, that is a, it was a good politician's defense that you put up and I liked it. But then one final throw of the dice from Vettel. As soon as Leclerc pitted, Vettel knew that was the race gone. And that's when he's on the radio saying, my rears are going, my rears are going. I'm going off. Try and make it sound like you're ruining his complete race unless he pits right now because he knows that he had enough to cover a one lap undercut. So absolutely fascinating times at, at Ferrari, Chris. Absolutely fascinating. If there was a title on the line, would they be more severe with Vettel? I don't think they'd uh, be stopping them from racing. They wouldn't have these kind of prerequisites about, oh, well, if you slipstream this person, then, oh, you let this person by on this lap. No, if they were going for the title, you'd be seeing all-out war between those two. And that's just what we've got to hope for in 2020, really. Okay, Nick, Vettel got driver of the day. Obviously, he didn't finish the race. How do you how do you find uh, that verdict? For you, was Vettel driver of the day? Okay, I want to respond to Chris, too. So, cool. I yeah. mean, Sebastian. Sebastian and Charles were very close in the driver's standing, so it does matter to them. That's, that's it. That's my, that's my response to that. And to you, Spanners, uh, Vettel was my driver of the day. I agree with it wholeheartedly. So he was the driver of the day. He qualified second. He, which is, you know, the box seat in Russia. He got ahead. He had reasonable pace. What, what for you makes him driver of the day? I mean, he, he got the launch. He got ahead at, at turn two. And I mean, he did everything he had to do, didn't put a foot wrong uh, and was putting in fastest lap after fastest lap. And I, my opinion, again, you can pretend to value that is that he got hung out to dry uh, in the strategy and they manufactured an undercut. I agree. To, for Charles. Yes. To make up for the accidental undercut that happened to him at Singapore. And um, he unfortunately had the MGUK failure uh, otherwise, without being on how to dry and having a failure, I think he would have pretty much won the race, lights the flag. And to be fair, because I agree with Nick, but you can't bring qualifying into it. It's a driver of the day, <laughs> not driver of the weekend. Okay, All that matters yeah, is the Sunday. <laughs> Go on, Nick. I, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I think if all that mattered was the Sunday, I'd give it to Albin. But I think that it, it was his own fault that he had so many cars to overtake. I don't understand Cat the faces that Chris is making. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I think, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't give him driver of the day because he made up for his own error. But, oh, by the way, someone in the chat room was saying, why are you guys giving Alban grief? Oh, I think we're not. I think we're, we're actually generally Alban fans on the show. Hence, I think why we're expecting a little bit more, maybe expecting a bit too much too soon as well. So if we're guilty of that, I think, uh, hands in the air. Uh, Matt. 
Yeah, I was going to say the chat room regarding driver of the day. Uh, Philip Allen says that Vettel was the only driver in the top three that did an overtake. So I guess you could make that argument as well. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, fascinating times. Um, obviously, then we had this uh, MGUK failure. Is this, uh, you know, Ferrari reliability has been an issue, Matt. And I think we, we argued last season that Ferrari, or oh, in fact, no, it was this season when Leclerc lost the Bahrain victory. We had argued whether or not Ferrari were pushing that performance versus reliability envelope too high. And, you know, maybe with the recent success, they want to keep that, that gravy train going. And maybe they've just run their systems hot. Obviously, that's speculation. Yeah. Um, I know it was immediately diagnosed as an MGUK fail. And it was, you could see him not being able to get that, that horsepower, but. Regarding what actually failed, I've seen some speculation that it might actually have been his control electronics that went, and they did have a problem with them earlier in the year. They had to revert, if I'm remembering correctly. And if I'm not, I'm sure everyone will tell me almost immediately. Uh, but he, unlike MGUK, he does have a spare control electronics he can use if that turns out to be the failure, but they won't know till they get the engine back to Marinello. And of course, people were asking, you know, why did he park it up and bring out a virtual safety car rather than bringing it back to the pits? And if you have an issue with your MG UK, you cannot keep driving that thing. You have to park it up and get the hell out of there because it is so, so dangerous. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw Luke Smith's tweet about that, but apparently it was an electronics problem that rendered the entire car unsafe, like park it and jump off of it kind of unsafe. And that's why he was not allowed to continue. And that's also why, given where he parked it, they chose to bring out the virtual safety car instead of double-waved yellows at that corner. But Chris, people were speculating that perhaps, you know, do you, do you have the mental capacity in that car to go, I've got an MGUK failure. If I don't make it back to the pits, <laughs> I can cause a virtual safety car. It's hard to argue that you couldn't have just made it one more corner. No, no, it is. You you cannot go a, a second longer than you, you have to. Okay, cool. Uh, Matt, let's wrap up Ferrari and, uh, and move on to Mercedes. Uh, fair enough. Um, as far as Ferrari goes, it was incredibly unfortunate that the virtual safety car happened when it did. Leclerc was about three seconds outside of Hamilton's virtual safety car window when it was called. And had Vettel been able to go a couple of more laps at the rate Leclerc was closing on him, then we would have seen an entirely different race. But more importantly, it spoiled the entire end of the race, that virtual safety car. You were looking at an unbelievable amount of action happening in the last five to 10 laps amongst the leaders with Vettel trying to overtake Leclerc, with Hamilton chasing on soft tires that were incredibly fresh and trying to catch before he burns them up. And, well, yeah, that was going to be pretty much it, because I think, frankly, under that scenario, Botas is nowhere near them. But nonetheless, it would have been just tenterhooks all the way to the end. And instead, it just sort of took, sucked all the life out of it right then and there. Actually, this, um, this seems like a good juncture to talk about um, the, the life being sucked out of the race. It's not the best racetrack in the world. I will go to Chris here and say... Okay, so I'm not um, an anti-Tilker. I'm not an anti-Tilkerdrome kind of one of these people. I think there's there's a lot of good Herman Tinker track, Tilker track designs. This one fails in the same way as the the Mexico 
Grand Prix. That that's a Tilka circuit as well, isn't it? I know it was redesigned, but it didn't Tilka do the redesign? I think he did. Um yeah, we're all going, did he? I think he did. But it suffers from the same thing as Mexico with that stadium section. I know I know you like the stadium section. It's really cool. Oh, sorry. I thought you said you liked it. It is really cool. It's so cool that you've got this like baseball pitch with Formula One cars coming through it, but you can't do anything but follow through that section. So much in the same way as Barcelona, much in the same way as Mexico, here at Sochi, you have really slow corners leading up to your main straight, which means you have to stop in a line, slow down, wait for the other car to accelerate. And all it does is guarantee that that you're going to have field spread. It guarantees field spread down the only overtaking points. Yeah, even the the Formula 2 and the Formula 3 races weren't particularly exciting. Uh, for me, Sochi is probably the worst track on the calendar. Uh, the first one I would do away with if I was in control of where we go racing. Uh, it's, uh, it's a track with, with no character and no soul, no real challenge I, I will say the the new generation of cars the sort of post 2017 ones uh do suit this circuit a little bit better than the previous generation cars but it's still very pants for for formula for for anything really i i, I think i've made my point pretty clear i don't like it <laughs> pretty pants matt that's a very good technical description of the track um, but it's the last time we're coming here isn't it uh, may well be. There are strong rumors that we're moving, uh, picking up sticks and moving to St. Petersburg in the not too distant future for this race. And if so, I think we're looking at a very different circuit. Yeah. So St. Peter, St. Petersburg is an interesting one because they're also looking at getting a Formula E race. So the, it's all going to be, it's still going to be a similar kind of thing, street circuit. Like Sochi is a great venue. It really is using the old Olympic Park is genius and it's a beautiful setting. But my God, the track they've come out with is boring. And everyone in the chat room is reminding me of Paul Ricard and Yas Marina, which would also be in the top three of my get rid of it list. Just a, just a few fact checks in here. Uh, I can confirm that the Mexican track was uh, redesigned by Tilka. Cool. And then also the Russian Grand Prix track here is under contract through next year. Oh, okay. So we've got one more terrible race that Sochi left. And, uh, but, but, from an F1 point of view, we've had loads of good races. We've come to two tracks where beforehand, see, this is the frustrating thing about it is you kind of know, with the odd exception, you know that you're going to turn up to Monaco, get a very Monaco-y type of race where people, even with an engine default, can sit and just hold the pack up. Similar thing at Singapore. You know you're guaranteed a one stop because there's no point pushing any harder. You go to uh, Abu Dhabi, you get a certain kind of race. You come to Sochi, you know there's not even tyre wear to make it interesting. Barcelona has the odd exception, but generally a very processional race. So it's frustrating when you've got all these races on the calendar, but there's some where you know beforehand that you're in for this kind of Right. But, but like we said earlier, Chris, at least we had this, um, this amazing kind of strategic element that we could follow. And of course, the drama. Yeah. This is what worries me about the prospect of going to a 25 race calendar. Like how many duds are going to be on that? There's going to be some. Um, but yeah, for me, this race was not about the race. This was about Ferrari and the internal politics going on there and that sort of civil war that seems to be brewing between the drivers. That for me was you know what the race was all about oh exactly i mean we've been sat here for 35 minutes and we haven't even talked about the team that secured a one two so let's rectify that after this 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Well, we could go one of two ways. From a show point of view, which way shall I host this? Shall I do Magnificent Victory by the amazing Hamilton? No, I'll subvert their expectations. Oh, Matt, I tell you what, Mercedes fluked this today. It was handed to them on a plate. What a gift. So you start your race. You know you can't start at the front because you're not as fast as the other team. And it becomes obvious in the first stint that your original plan isn't going to work. So you revert to your backup plan and you execute flawlessly said backup plan until the racing gods look down their nose and say, you know what you need? You need a race win. Here you go, kid. And at that point, you're perfectly positioned to take advantage of it. And that absolutely describes Mercedes strategy today. Now, I would have loved to have seen Hamilton coming on the last 10, 12 laps on soft tires, chasing down the Ferraris who'd been on mediums for 10 or 15 laps already, which is more or less, I think, where things were headed. Uh, But we didn't get that. But if you're Mercedes, you did everything perfectly. And when the chance was there, you didn't blink. You took it with both hands and you ran all the way to the finish line with it. Okay, so uh, Uzziah Syed in the chat room uh, says, amazing, no, no, that's, that's the wrong one, sorry. Uh, he says, uh, it wasn't Mercedes locking into it. It was Ferrari throwing it away. It's Ferrari's fault. To a certain extent, I, I agree with that. But I think we're just going to focus in on, on what Mercedes did to win this race. And I'm obliged to read the super chat comments where people pay money to have their comment be highlighted. And we're really, really delighted for those contributions. And I, I do want to read them. Bradley Philpott has paid £1.99 
for me to say, remember when I smashed Van Jean at the karting? Yes, yes, we will go on about the karting. I promise we'll do a, a special kind of offline uh, review of uh, of the weekend because we're all still on a massive, massive high about it. Uh, but I, I think Mercedes did put themselves in the position, Matt, where if anything went wrong, they they could take advantage of it and they knew what they were doing that started in q2 they made that gamble to to go onto the hard tires it cost them getting off the line probably i know there might have been a wheel spin allegedly but you do get a disadvantage off the line with the mediums they took those risks they made that strategy and it was kind of it was all in the hopes of i guess there was three hopes a you can take advantage of a safety car b you can do uh, an overcut that you know isn't going to work, so you come out on fresher tyres. But interestingly, on this track, with such low tyre wear, there is an option to go super long on your mediums. And I think Mercedes could have gone all day long on their tyres today. And I think they, when they said, oh, target plus 15, I don't think it was they had a specific lap they wanted to pit. It might have been like an ideal lap they wanted to pit. I think that they were pitting in relation to Ferrari. So it was essentially Ferrari plus a bunch of laps to either A, give us better, softer tyres at the end, or B, there's a chance at this track that we can maintain our medium pace better than Ferrari, even when they come out on their new medium tyres, and actually start opening up that pit window again, so that we could find ourselves two-thirds of the way through the race with older medium tyres. We've been running better lap times than the Ferrari's tyres who've gone off a cliff, and now we can come in for softs and come out in front. Like a, it's not an overcut; it's an ubercut, Chris. What's amazing about that is that you, with a strategy like that, it's very favourable to if you get, say, a virtual safety car or even a safety car after that as well. They got exactly what they what they needed. But what I also love about that strategy uh, as well is that it just would have put them in such a attacking position. Say we didn't have those the the, the SC and the SC period. Yeah. They would have been in such an attacking opportunity. Uh, even, you know, there's there's very little deg. Just having those newer softer tyres would have put them in such a strong position. And as much as we saw, you know, Valtteri able to hold off Leclerc because Ferrari can't use that top-end speed advantage as much in the race as it can in qualifying, the fact that they're really good in Sector 3 would have put them in such a good position going down that front straight as well. It just adds up to a really, really nice strategy. Nick. Okay. I'm going to do the thing where I make the North American sports analogy again, and you pretend to understand. Everyone get ready to nod along. Okay. So to me, this reminded me of an American football game where everyone was expected. Hold on. I'll be fast. I was going to say that. Okay. Where everyone's expecting for Hamilton to be the quarterback and get the ball back with two minutes left and hope that he can march down the field and score on offense on the second stint, but instead they had a pick six. So they intercepted the ball and ran it all the way back. And everyone's like, that's not what was supposed to happen. You're supposed to score points on offense and all that stuff. Cause I don't know if you guys saw, but there were people complaining that, I mean, not the smartest, oops, sorry, not the smartest fans that uh, pitting under virtual safety car was somehow like cheating. It wasn't, it wasn't fair and it should be illegal and all this stuff. And it's like, no, no, they put themselves in this position it, it was, it, you know, maybe a little bit anticlimactic, but it's a, it's a very perfectly valid thing. They, they, yep. you know, they did all the right things to have the opportunity to do that. Yes, Hamilton is a bit blessed 
But I mean, he was quick in the first in, and he was he was in the window. I think there is an argument for it because in a lot of other series, they don't allow pitting under caution periods or uh, VSCs in, in F2, um, for example. So yeah. this debate comes around every single time it you know, sort of decides a race win. I think there is an argument. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Whoa, what, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember this argument coming when uh, Lewis Hamilton lost it in Australia from, from a pit stop. Yes. I don't remember that. Yes, Finally, how did you Twitter miss feed. it? No, I'd, well, I was probably too busy celebrating. I mean, being neutral. Uh, it's yeah. Let's let's have that debate quickly. I don't see any problem at all pitting when a safety car is out. I mean, you're under safety car conditions, so that's all safe. You're then under pit lane conditions, which are mandated safe. So there's no safety issue. Are you saying that you want to take away? one of the random elements in F1 that mixes things up sometimes? Shall we ban rain also, Matthew? Well, I think the argument specifically is virtual safety car versus safety car. Oh, massive difference. The purpose of the virtual safety car is to neutralize the race so that no one can gain an advantage. No. Is it? Is it? Is is that? No. That might be the method by which they uh, action the virtual safety car. But the the point of the the virtual safety car is to be able to clear away an incident, be safe without bringing out the full safety car. It, there's no, there was no oh we've got the safety car, but now we need a way to neutralize the race. How can we do that? Ah, the VSC. That's not the way it's it worked. Like you've almost gotten to the point, which is they don't want to bring the safety car out because when yeah. you do that, a you collapse all the gaps between the leaders, and b you send the lap cars around. So it takes a lot of the race to affect a proper safety car. But also the safety car affects the race with the other letter in front there. And uh, the virtual safety car was meant to sort of keep the race in a status quo while the incident was cleared and depending upon where it was and if they felt it was safe to do it that way. So in the instance of a virtual safety car, and given that in other series and certainly in Formula 2, I think as Chris was saying, they don't allow pits under the virtual safety car. It's not an unreasonable argument. However, Formula 2 racing is a lot closer and allowing the pit lane open gives you that same random unpredictability that can give give a team an advantage or turn a race around. So as soon as you close it, people will be complaining about the lack of action. As soon as you keep it open, people will be complaining about the lack of fairness. It's an argument we will never win. And I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think Matt is making it out to sound a lot more complicated than it really is. The way I see it is that the virtual safety car, you don't need to, <laughs> you don't need to collapse everyone together in order to clear the incident. So you don't, I, I don't think there's any, and, and maybe it helps get the race back under green flag sooner. Sure. But I don't really understand any argument that would say that, well, if we have a full safety car, you then can we're pit, collapsing yeah. up. So then you can pit. But if we're not, then you can't. No, it's just, you don't have to bunch up. You don't have to send out the safety car. We'll clean it up real quick. But of course the pit lane's open. So a couple of people in the chat have been asking how you gain under a VSC. So maybe it's just worth it reiterating that because everyone else is uh, driving at a reduced speed, you driving through the pit lane means you, you lose less time than you would have done if you were pitting under green, for example, because they're yeah. going down the straight less quickly. Uh, yeah, I think the way to put it is your competitors are going slower, so don't have the same opportunity to catch up with you while you're stop still, Matt. 
Yeah, specifically 24-second pit delta uh, under green flag, 15-second pit delta under virtual safety car. However, there's a second way you can make up time because each mini sector is regulated and some of them have turns. So how slow and how fast you can go depends on where you are in the mini sectors. And you're allowed to speed up and slow down. It's an average time per mini sector. So if your engineers are good, you can actually gain a reasonable amount of time depending upon where you are on track and how clever your engineers are. Uh, okay. I just want to, I think Chris was right to talk about what would have happened had we not had that VSC. Let's just say that you could talk about how, how well Vettel would have done and what Vettel could have done, but his, his, his engine was doomed. The, the much more random factor is the VSC coming out. So without Hamilton being able to benefit from that, that virtual safety car, I I think he would have had a difficult time getting past Leclerc and going for the win. At the beginning of the day, I I said on a different show that I, I felt that the Mercedes had the pace. And actually, I think Mercedes have had the race pace in Spa, in Italy, in Singapore, but Ferrari have, have had, you know, they've had a blinder. Those races have come to them because they've defended well. They've been tactically better than than Ferrari and they've had specific tracks that allow you to do specific things so at the beginning of the day I thought yeah Mercedes probably do have that race pace and I think pace wise they had Ferrari covered but I Chris I just didn't see today I didn't see the situation that was gonna allow Hamilton to get ahead of the Ferraris and this is why Ferrari's qualifying speed is so important because track position is so key especially on tracks like singapore and this one in sochi where it is so hard to overtake and you get mass field spread as soon as you gain the position on track it's so hard to lose it Mm. um i think the chat room uh, a they would like a course on british english to help them understand more of what's going on in f1 and i think we need a course in american sports so that we can understand any of nick's analogies and also i liked you explaining the the thing about the the how you gain time under the virtual safety car i think there's a lot of new fans to formula one and there's a lot of new fans who are listening to us so i think at some point we'll do a little appendix of explaining things because terms like undercut and overcut get thrown around and actually a lot of people go uh-huh uh-huh undercut I, I, don't, I don't mind dwelling on the art of the undercut at some point nick Oh, I was just going to translate the football analogy really quickly to rugby it's that it's as if they drop the ball and the other team just picked it up and ran the other way okay good fantastic um hats off to Valtteri Bottas for that defense map for that defense of Charles Leclerc I got the feeling that had he had he not nailed lap after lap after lap Charles was able to get past and if he'd have done that early he might have had a chance to to bother Hamilton and make him affect what he was doing but it looked like Bottas bottassed as well as he could i'm not saying he mercedes as well as he could but he bottassed as well as he could is that is that making sense or am i just saying bottas over and over again uh, you're just saying it over and over again so you can get me to say it the same way which is never going to happen but thank you for trying bottas i like it when you say bottas i defend you I, when i appreciate that it's it's well anyway back to the race yes in the first stint our friend valtteri did not particularly put a shine on his Mercedes performance. He he was losing time and it honestly looked like Mercedes was at the point of leaving him out to be a rolling chicane for the Ferraris when they came round. 
after their pit stop, before the virtual safety car changed all of that. And that put him in third behind Leclerc um, and Hamilton. And then when the full safety car came out for Russell uh, finding the wall, because Williams has apparently run out of parts and they're using duct tape instead of brake pads now, that's a joke. That's not real, please, just to put that out there, because some people, uh, sometimes I'm better at that than I think I am. Anyway, um, uh, Ferrari, seeing the Mercedes on brand new soft tires, felt Leclerc would be vulnerable on the medium tires, and they pitted him under the safety car. He lost one spot to Valtteri, but they assumed he'd be able to get it back. And then at the restart, he came ever so close so many times, but when push came to shove, he could not get the job done. So hats off. When it comes to defending, Botas did everything Mercedes required of him. I agree. Before we get onto Formula B and the podium, I, I just want to, I want to, you and I, we argue a lot about which is the better car, whether it is the, the Mercedes or the Ferrari. And I, I want to see where we are right now, because we had basically Ferrari, which was a, a much better version of the 2014 Williams. So it was just a series of kind of rocket launches, get it stopped and pointed then do another rocket launch, and they've made that that tactic work. But they seem to have found downforce in the last couple of races. Where are we? I My gut is that the Ferrari engine dominance was somewhat overblown, and it was being exaggerated by the low-drag philosophy that Ferrari were running. And now that they have a bit more downforce, are we seeing a levelling off of that that straight line speed advantage i.e leclerc couldn't just cruise past bottas today no because in qualifying ferrari is still gaining like eight tenths of a second just on the straights and you can see it in the mini sectors when they did the side by side with lewis hamilton the thing is across the whole season we've seen that advantage just isn't there in the race oh matt is about to tech you he is about to lay down some technology on you is there a difference in the way those corner speeds are achieved matt yeah, there is. Uh, a lot of it is about uh, maintaining momentum. But fundamentally, Ferrari was four tenths, five tenths in qualifying. And in the race, when you looked at Leclerc chasing Botas, um, it was around three tenths. Part of that is going to be him in dirty air. And part of that is going to be that Mercedes has a real advantage only now in the medium speed corners, which is where Red Bull fascinatingly, is fastest of all of the cars. Uh, Mercedes has only a tiny advantage in low-speed corners, and they have a disadvantage in the high-speed corners. So how Ferrari has been able to add downforce back to the front axle, which has allowed them to balance the car properly, which has allowed them to extract more performance from their package, has been a story that has really only happened over the last couple of races. And I will say as well, you know, we've been going to these tracks that are like medium, low speed corners, say Suzuka next race, for example, all high speed corners. So, you know, we could, again, we could see a very different story there. Again, suddenly the Red Bull might be the challenger. Fascinating. Let's move on to Formula B. Missed Apex podcast is uh, an ad-supported and a Patreon-supported podcast. Um, if you want an ad-free feed, you can. For $1.99 a month, you can sign on at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, and you can, you'll get a private RSS feed that you can add to your podcast player 
uh, which which removes the ads. And that's a, a feature of being a patron. If you sign up to the $5 tier, you'll also get added to our, our online Slack chat community. It's a great place to chat Formula One, especially during race days. And you'll get access to our patron-only podcast, which it's a worse podcast. It's less well-produced, but we do kind of relax. Uh, we let our hair down and we just we just shoot the breeze. And uh, Chris and Matt join me on there. And we talk about a range of things uh, apart from motorsport and Formula One. We talk about our lives. We talk about my stupid cat that comes for walks with us. That's right. My cat comes for walks with us. I don't take my cat for a walk. It's an important distinction. Um, and so uh, that when those $5 patrons come in, which they have been actually thick and fast, it gives me a lot of hope. Hope that we can keep keep Mist Apex podcast going. In fact, I'm feeling bullish and optimistic for Mist Apex 2020. I won't go into the reasons uh, why I might not have been uh, before, but thank you for those who did support us. And please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. And Matt, the chat room who got there by looking on YouTube and searching for Mist Apex podcast, have they amused you once more? Is that smile on your face from my uh, impassioned Patreon plea or is it a comment from our chat room attendees? Oh, you know me too well. It's a comment from our chat room attendees. They have made a clever comment, and I will save it for the end of the show. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Let's go to Formula B. I, I want to start with Alburn a little bit. There was one comment that really stuck out, and I'll, I'll bet Nick picked up on this. Uh, when they when he was complaining about his brakes not working, and you know he's basically saying, you know, at 200 miles an hour, I'm hitting the brake, and nothing's really happening, and his team just goes, copy. I... um. I didn't actually hear their response. I guess I must have missed it because it was was so short. It was short, um, yeah. I guess and because you, you tuned out after the Vettel stuff. Yeah, no, I, I just turned the TV off at lap 20 and uh, assumed that everything worked out from there. I had to say, you watched the race on delay. So at four o'clock UK time, I got a message from Nick, a heartbreaking message, because I know how much Nick is passionate about Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel. We've watched the race and, you know, on the panel, there's a few Hamilton fans. I, I'm completely neutral, but who who were celebrating the Mercedes victory. And Nick just sends me this message saying, I'm not reading any social media. I haven't listened, watched any of the, the WhatsApp comments coming in. I'm about to watch the race now. So if you, if you need to tell me anything about the show tonight, you know, let me know. And I'm thinking they're going, oh. Oh, Nick, my sweet, my sweet summer child. And uh, I just, I just texted you. And this isn't, was not sarcastic, Nick. I just had to give you a spoiler free message. So I just said, okay, mate, enjoy the race. And I was like, oh, I felt bad. Yeah, that's fair. I don't, uh, I don't want to know anything about the race. I just wanted you to know, um, you know, as the show is coming up for us <laughs> that I, you know, I'm not AWOL. I'm just watching the race because it started at 4 a.m. here, which is entirely too oh, early. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that is much too early. Okay, Matt, Robert Kubica confirmed as not going to be with Williams next season. George Russell puts it in the wall. Kubica just stops. Yeah, stops. And we are told, and by we, I mean it was broadcast on the TV, that they retired him, quote, to save parts for the flyaway races oh, at the end of the season. And no. if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about Williams right now. I mean, this is like a caterum levels of, oh my gosh, isn't it? So hang on. I, I'd not heard that. Williams, a Williams source literally said it was to save parts. Yeah. They, they, they announced it during the race or the post-race broadcast. They're like, Kubica was retired to save parts for the flyaway races. So they didn't have parts for testing. They are pulling over their second driver 
to save parts. And yet they will look cameras in the eye and say it's not, it's not a money problem. And I know people who have spoken to senior Williams people and they, they, they are towing the party line. This is not a money issue, they say, and they are united and consistent in saying that. How can it not be? How can Williams being three seconds off the pack not be down to money? There's no other real explanation. I mean, you can see money buys performance if it's cleverly spent. So the only other argument is they had money, but they spent it all poorly. But then they have no money. So then money is the problem now, isn't it? Uh, what else stood out for you in Formula B? Oh, yeah, there was actually there was there was a, a great few battles there. Where do you want to start? Or Nick? Ooh, I think we should. Nick? Oh, I just uh, was sad for Nico Hulkenberg in, uh, in Formula B. Didn't really work out very well for him with his pit stop with them dropping the car, uh, and him having a, like a seven and a half or an eight second pit stop. Um, finished 10th and only got one point. Um, bad result for the team compared to their main rival, McLaren, finishing in sixth and eighth and picking up, uh, 12 points, I think. But uh, if Nico had had a, a reasonable pit stop, I think he could have actually finished ahead of Norris. And he was pretty angry on Twitter as well, like going just 10th and uh, with lots of emoji that indicated uh, that he was unhappy, Matt. Yeah. Well, uh, but speaking of McLaren, triple digits in the Constructors' Championship for McLaren for the first time since, I think, probably Hamilton left-ish. Yeah, probably. Science was my alternate driver of the day. I mean, not only was he briefly third going into uh, turn uh, two, uh, which is funny because he was racing uh, a Mercedes and they're going to be partner up for uh, engine uh, performance in uh, 2021 onwards. Uh, but um, so I found that quite funny. But um, McLaren have really taken the stride in the Formula B standing. I know, like, you know, the low speed corners. It, kind of suits their car a little bit better i think norris got a little bit screwed over by the virtual safety car uh but uh, he had a you know a bit of a tougher first stint than than science but science is really uh, on it especially when you consider it beginning of the season norris came on really really strong and science is ruled him back in so uh just a, a word on those formula b the young pups uh, if you like coming through uh lando norris is like there's a cultured humor he's trying to be funny carlos science is just mad and that comes across as funny but you had, um, I think it was Natalie Pinkham and Jensen Button on the on the driver parade, and they happened to be talking to the young guys, Albon, Verstappen, Norris, and I forget the the the, the, th- the fourth one. But they were giving them so much grief for being young, and they were going, "Look at these guys! They all love each other so much. Look at them! Look at the little racing drivers." Anyway, I just thought it was really funny how much they were patronising them. But because they are basically kids on tour, they're doing lots of pranks, they're getting on, they do seem to genuinely get on. But that's because we do have a lot younger demographic, Matt, these days. Yeah, they do. And and, and it is, what do we call it? Oh, a breath of fresh air, us old people. To I see... don't like it. They need to get off my yeah. lawn is what they need to do. Yeah. But to see them genuinely enjoying being there and doing what they do so much, it's a nice contrast to the older heads who've been doing it a long time and for whom it's, although they may derive great enjoyment from it, it is very clearly also a job and comes with a lot more pressure than the kids at McLaren seem to be feeling. I Signs, maybe not so much a kid, but you get my drift. I'll tell you who didn't have a good time in Sochi. 
Kevin Magnuson, who was having a wonderful time battling for points. And then he got a beeping quote penalty over a stupid idiotic curb infringement. Wait, wait a minute, though, that must have been his second offence. Well, what was the first thing he did where, where he got the warning flag? The driving standards are so different. It's, I'm not, not, gonna argue it, with you it's it. not different, is it? It's not different at all. It it's, is just, different. it's just not Monza, Matt. It's not Monza. But let's let's talk about Haas a little bit because, yeah. well, first of all, we have Grosjean. Where did he qualify? Eighth, I think, and immediately out of the race. And actually, pretty much entirely not his fault at all, but whatever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. hang on. Whoa. You're just going to sit there and arbitrarily assign blame? Unacceptable. Yes. Whose fault is it? You know that's not what we do here. So, yeah, there was an incident on the first corner between uh, Grosjean, Ricciardo, and Giovinazzi. The race commentators declared that to be a racing incident. It's just one of those things. We don't do that here. If you're new to Missed Apex Podcast, we assign blame so we can explore the racing rules of Formula One. Who should we go to first? Uh, Nick. I sensed you had a different opinion to me. Whose fault was this? Oh, but I changed it to the correct opinion in the meantime. Should I go with the original opinion? Go on, defend your I original. Watched, I, I, okay, no, I watched the um, the onboard of Grosjean, and I thought that it must have been his fault um, for not leaving more room. But then once you see some more angles and you see Giovinazzi's onboard and you realize that he's just shoved his car in between two other cars, uh, then you realize that it was pretty clearly his fault. Um, maybe you guys agree or not, but I guess the way I, how strongly I saw it when I saw that onboard, I'm surprised that he didn't get a penalty there, especially because he damaged Ricciardo and Grosjean and got away um, without any apparent damage himself. Yeah, he was the one who was kind of most aware of what was going on there because you could argue Ricardo couldn't see Grosjean and Grosjean couldn't see Ricardo. And because that corner is so wide on the entry and it just pinches in at the apex, there's not really a lot you can do around the outside. And Ricardo would have been so tight on the way and he was always going to go wide. So Giovinazzi was the one with the most situational awareness of what was going on there and still just decided to go for it. And I am amazed the strength of the front suspension on that Alfa Romeo taking two big hits on either side and just carrying on maybe they, it was bumper cars maybe they reinforce his car but yeah that's how i saw it as well two drivers were having a fight two could have gone into that space giovanazzi was like no no me me and i don't think i think you should have lifted off and, and let that situation occur in front of you uh, nick oh sorry oh, i just thought it was really interesting as well um when they showed the replay on the on the live broadcast the way that Grosjean spun and the way that Ricciardo spun, it was like completely synchronized. Did you notice that? It was like synchronized swimming for F1 cars. They did the exact same spin at the exact same time. And Grosjean just hit the wall and not Ricciardo because he was closer to the wall to begin with. It's just very unfortunate for him when he did qualify relatively well. Matt, you've yet to assign blame. Are you in agreement with everyone? You can continue your general has point. I interrupted you. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was assigning blame to Giovinazzi. Uh, my only quibble would be, I think he did realize he was in a very, very bad place and tried to back out of it, but it was already too late. The wedge had closed. And so basically he caught both of their rear wheels with his front wheels and it broke Grosjean's suspension immediately and damaged Ricardo's floor beyond the ability of him to really be able to carry on for the rest of the race. And then he was apparently remarkably otherwise unaffected by this so 
there you go. All right. I think it's time we move on to the podium. No, no. Again, typically, Matt, every time I try and move on, you drag me back in and you give me those eyes that know it's going to be more grief if I don't let you do it. And you're just going to be talking about it anyway. Okay, let's move on to the podium. And then you'll say what you were going to say anyway. Yeah, which was my original house point, which was they had genuine race pace today. I literally said, do you want to continue your house point? And you said, no, this is why everyone hates you. Let's move on to the podium. I failed to secure a podium at Missed Apex Karting, but I did. I did finish 10th out of 48, right? But do you know, it's an interesting fact. It's something I've learned over the years of putting on these karting events. I think we've put on about nine, but this is the fourth official one. There are people who turn up to karting events in their own, in their own gear. The, the, the rental place has like loads of suits that you can borrow, and they but they turn up in their own. They spend hundreds of hundreds of pounds. Who would do that? And I tell you, all but one of them didn't win. Imagine turning up to a karting event in your own gear and not winning. What a bunch of losers. So the, uh, oh, and uh, thank you for your support and thanks for coming to the event. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but the only actual award that counts is the Rental Suit Champion Championship. So we have an award for the people who don't wear their own suits. We call them OSWs, Own Suit Winners. So the prize for the best rental suit, look at, look at that, it's mine. I'm, I'm so happy with this. I've finished 10th, Chris. I'm the real and only winner that counts. People are going to say it's a fix. The guy, <laughs> the guy who conveniently won the, the only one that matter. A bit like if Bernie Eccleston won races. I mean, yeah, I did manufacture a trophy that was given to 10th place, which I then won. So maybe, Matt. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, not not that I'm here to pick any kind of technical nits or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't a rental helmet I saw you in. Uh, no, be no. fairly certain those weren't rental gloves either, if I'm being or like boots. really picky. Yeah, it's or ve- boots. It's very yes, clearly yeah, called the yeah, rental okay. suit. Yeah. Uh, I didn't wear my own boots. Oh, okay. It's, it's called yeah, the rental yeah. suit championship. And the helmet oh. was the driver comms helmet, not my own helmet. Brad also wore that helmet. We had a great new feature this year, which you can see on the video, which should be up on our YouTube channel on Monday, where the commentator, Chris, could press a button and actually talk to one of the drivers as they were going around. And it was incredible. They were, obviously, with me, it was, uh, yeah, um, what's going on? I, I, I'm desperately trying to catch people. I'll do my best. Oh, my God, they cheated. I was robbed. Right. But then when we spoke to Brad, it was really kind of calm. This is what I'm doing. This is where everyone's defending. And then he kind of went, oh, hang on a minute. I'm just doing an overtake. pulled off an overtake for the lead and then carried on, you know, describing what we did. It was an absolutely fantastic feature. Oh, yeah, it was completely. It was funny. It was like listening to Brad. He's like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to do some calculus in my head. And, oh, hey, has anyone ordered lunch yet? And, oh, gosh, I think I forgot to do my laundry before I left. And, oh, hang on, I'm going to win a race here. And, oh, yeah, did you see that new show on TV? It was just ridiculous. Yeah, and I I didn't sound quite as calm. He had the coolest line, though, when he was chasing Van Jean. I've got him now. <laughs> that was it. I've got him now. There we go. Uh, Van Jean as well. Uh, he puts up a, a lot of bluster about how good he was. And uh, actually, he was fantastic. Really, really fighty. I, I will share the punt gene moment where Philpot ran him out of road, ran him off the track. And Van Jean was like, nah, not having it. And just came back on track. And there was, yeah, there was a very distinctive clatter of, uh, of, of cart on cart. Anyway, sorry. The podium. This is the bit where we give away awards. Uh, we have a thing of the weekend award. And I think we'll go to the person who looks least prepared. So Nick, 
you look surprised that someone might come to you. Who was your thing of the weekend this weekend? Sebastian. So you're not changing. We- you're not changing to Red Bull fanbo- fandom at all, are you? You've reneged. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. So you're giving it to Sebastian Vettel. Well, I think I could have anyway. I mean, he did win the official uh, F1 driver of the day vote, and apparently he was was quite pleased to hear that news. Um, when he when he won in Singapore, he said that he appreciated all the all the fan support and messages and stuff like that. So if anybody knows how I can write Sebastian Vettel a personal uh, message, let me know. Send him some, send him some support. But no, I, I think I think he did. Uh, I think he did brilliant. I think he did everything that he that he could have done and more. Maybe <laughs> Vettosi um, confirmed. All right, we get it. We get it. Okay, so you're giving your thing of the week to Sebastian Vettel, Chris Stevens. Who gets your thing of the weekend? Oh, science, hands down. I mean, what a drive! What a weekend! Okay, good. Simple. Yeah, good. That's fine. Uh, Matt, who do you give your thing of the weekend to? This will be controversial, but I know you'll choose Hamilton and Mercedes. So I'm going to go with Kevin Magnussen post-penalty, rocking out the quali laps at the end of the race and finishing P9 ahead of Hulkenberg when he had a five-second penalty that he had to stay in front of. And I think if you're Haas and you've had great quali pace and terrible race pace the whole year, to see him able to do that at the end has to be like, Oh, hey, you know, Alpha's only seven points ahead of us. Maybe P8's possible before the end of the season. Chris, are you going to interject? No, I, I was going to talk about Magnuson's magnanimous acceptance of that penalty <laughs> and then realized it's going to be really good for the Pony Award. Uh, yeah, okay, that's true. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to Valtteri Bottas, who, by his body language and by his demeanor, I'm sure he's not happy about playing this number two role. I'm sure he's not, but he's doing it and he's doing it without fuss. He's doing it without bother. He's doing his job. He might well be brooding for a relaunch next season, but this season he's doing his job. So even when he's interviewed, I had a good race. I did what I could. You probably shouldn't say I couldn't keep up. That terminology makes you look bad. But when it came to doing his bit, I'm sure he was completely prepared to be left out and to interfere with Leclerc coming through. If uh, Before the virtual safety car, I think Leclerc was nine seconds off Bottas was closing that gap down. I'm sure he would have played, you know, the the spoilers role if it had been asked of him. And he's just dealing with it in a really mature, sensible and professional way. So Bottas is my thing of the weekend. Uh, we have uh, a bad thing. We have a bad thing award, don't we? And and that is voiced by the lad Treeface. Oh no, you missed the apex. It's the bad thing award. Who missed the apex for you, Nick? Again, I've already mentioned it today but the the hulkenberg pit stop so that that crew there and and dropping the car um cost some valuable points it was painful to watch for me and matt who missed the apex for you alpha they just were not really present and didn't do a great job and had problems and driver mistakes and yeah okay well we'll tell you what you stop you've done alpha generally mine genuinely was Kimi Raikkonen with that, with the jump start and then the hesitating afterwards. Like, you've done loads of these now, Kimi. I don't want to judge too much, but that is just a, it's almost like your head's not in the right space. A jump start is, is criminal, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. I mean, 307 starts. Although, although we've seen Fernando Alonso do it. My very first impression of Fernando Alonso was him jumping the start because in the first race I ever watched, he did that. And I thought, man, what an idiot. <laughs> 
not you know not knowing anything about him um it's funny you say that because uh it was my toss-up for the missed apex was going to be kimmy's left hand for dumping the clutch too uh soon uh or george russell's left front brake disc for seizing up like that okay chat room someone said uh the alban hate missed the apex i don't i don't think so i think we're calling it calling it as it is and we're optimistic that a talented driver can can pull it out of the back but he's not right now nick Oh, there's just no winning. I mean, I I even prefaced everything I said about Albon with, I don't want to criticize Albon. And then just what's with all the Albon criticism? No, no, but it's fine. If you're a fan of the driver and people are being people are criticizing him, then yeah, it does kind of hurt a bit, especially if you're, you know, looking for good. But I would say we are people who are wishing Albon well as well, which is why we're wanting a higher standard. Uh Chris. But, but God forbid we ever point out when he does something drastically wrong, like he did in qualifying. That's yeah. justified criticism. I, I, I liked my, uh, Nick's breakdown earlier. It's You could put that as honest and self-deprecating, but Formula One is as much about selling yourself and being a package, and it's as much of a power game and a political game. And although it sometimes seems stupid when drivers will blame anything else, anything but them, it does kind of, you know, you fake it till you make it and it does have an effect. When did I do dangerous driving? Oh, yeah, there we go. When did I do dangerous driving? Um, When you deliberately pointed your massively expensive pointy sports car at another driver on purpose. And then that's when. Um, Right. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say stroll chat room. In fact, in the last race review, didn't stroll get my thing of the weekend? Or well, I was certainly very, very complimentary about his racing. I, I'm nothing, I've nothing to say about him in particular in this race uh, so far today. Uh, oh, uh, some people saying the commentary. So obviously Martin Brundle was off doing VLN with Brad and with Alex Brundle as well. Um, so Paul Resta stopped in. Now I am guilty of finding his pronunciation of Mercedes and Mijum's very jarring. I think it's a very extreme version of that. However, it is a regional accent. It is his accent. So it is a little, we're saying that we just expect every commentator to be a 40 year old, uh, English man from Suffolk or whatever, or from, from the home counties is, is not correct. So yeah, you might find it jarring, but let's just get used to it and judge him on his merits. It'd be nice to get an American on. No, that's ridiculous. Shut up. Shut your face. How do I mute Nick? Right. Okay. Uh, Where are we? We've done all the Missed Apex Awards. Uh, Oh, uh, Pony, I guess. Have I lost my Pony bumper? No, I think it's here. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Over to Chris. K-Mag. Clear and simple. He actually came out and just completely insulted the stewards. And say, oh well, you know the the the, yeah. the stewards are human; they make mistakes a lot of the time, and they he said a lot worse things that I can't say on this family friendly show. But I just think, man, like what? you no. just you broke a rule. We you broke that, a rule. Deal we, with it. We dropped that ages ago. Curse all you want. My goodness. Go on, Matt. No, don't. That no, don't. Rule joking. In the race director's notes, was evaluated on a on on each incident basis. It was not a hard and fast rule. If you miss it, you get a penalty. It was to be looked at each and every time and judged subjectively. He lost time. He lost a place. And and then they gave him a five-second penalty. And the only the thing I can say about it is he managed to drive enough of it away that he didn't wind up in 10th and he managed to save ninth place. I don't think 
under those circumstances. And if you listen to his post race interview, he's like, look, I was very, I was mostly concerned with just keeping the car under control at that point. And I did the best I could. And then to give me a penalty on top of it just seems absurd. Uh, leaving out lots of words that interestingly sky refused to broadcast. Okay. So I don't like the, I mean, it was after Canada, the, the stewards came under like real heavy criticism and yeah, it's fine. They're going to. People are going to do analysis like this. Yes, from me, Nick. You don't need to interject. Yes, yes. yes. they came under criticism for no reason whatsoever because they didn't make a call that was controversial at all. I think I think it was a fantastic call. Well done to the stewards in Canada. So, so yes, they, they are going to be under critical analysis. I don't think you need the drivers who know full well that that is on a uh, on a public forum adding to that and stirring up this kind of attack on the stewards personally. And that's what ended up happening. The stewards got attacked personally. Okay, you're in a high-profile job. But I would like to see a similar system to what they do in rugby. Now, don't mistake me for someone who likes rugby. I think it's a terribly thought-out game that was invented completely by accident. And not one single rugby fan who's not a referee knows the rules of rugby. The referee blows the whistle, then he just tells you whatever he wants because no one knows. Next time you're watching rugby in the pub, when the whistle blows, go quick, quick, quick. What happened? No one knows. They wait for the referee to tell them. It's a terrible sport. However, if you argue with the referee, so who? 10 yard penalty. I don't know how rugby works. You're an idiot referee. Fine. 20 yards. Oh, what are you doing? 30 yards. And I think we should do that with Formula One as well. Five second penalty. Oh, the stewards are idiots. They're so terrible. All right. 10 second penalty. Black and white flag for descent. Black and white flag for descent. Only in Monza. Oh, we cannot escape a pony for Leclerc, can we, Chris? Uh, yeah, I was just going to point out that actually Hulkenberg got a black and white flag uh, today. Uh, but uh, no, I think no, I think that's that's just, especially after his comments on Thursday saying, oh, I've learned to just shut up on the radio and and not say stuff like that publicly anymore. Uh, yeah. And then he just continued doing it. I'm, I'm really, this is what the pony award was made for. I sympathize with the clerk. I have sympathized in those situations and I think he's a really good driver and he seems like a nice motivated guy. He seems brilliant, but he comes across, I hate using the word. He comes across as whiny on the radio. It sounds super whiny and you can't be an, a grown up and keep saying that's not fair. There's just, I mean, get angry. I'd prefer he got angry, Matt. I'd prefer he just kicked off. We've all heard of resting unpleasant face. I think he's just got resting radio complaint voice. Um, Chris, uh, you've spotted the same thing as me in the chat. Yeah, chat rooms just pointed out that Sebastian Vettel bring back the V12s comment. Oh, yeah, because they never blew up, did they? I mean, that was the only interesting thing about racing in the 90s, is you go, well, the grid settled, turn one's finished. I wonder who'll blow up today. We've got one more from the chat room, yeah. uh, which I will simply adopt as mine since all the other good ones have been tossed out there. And this is from uh, Keternath saying that the FIA deserves a Pony Award for not letting our friend Kvyat race with his super special helmet livery. <laughs> yeah. And I think he has uh. an actual reasonable point there. I we, mean, like, come on, it's his home race, for goodness sake. It's like generally the same color. So yeah, just just let him do it. You can't see it anyway, really, under the halo. So who cares? Uh, Met Clapton points out at least Leclerc is venting his anger on the radio and not doing stupid things on track. Well, amen to that. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. But the personality you hear on the radio isn't the one that you see out of the car. And it's it's just a shame is all, Matt. Yes, I, I did come up with this idea that perhaps we should refer to Charles as a monogasque from now on. 
That is fantastic. Well done, Matt Trumpets. I think that brings us to the end of our show. Oh, no. Uh, no, I'm not going to forget it this week. It's time for... Because we appreciate our chat room and we appreciate the fact that you keep us amused for the entire time of the live stream. We give out an award. It's called... Comment of the Week. Okay, I'm so disproportionately happy that I remembered to do it before the end credits. Right, who are your candidates for Comment of the Week, Matt? Ah, uh, well, our old friend European gets in early with, Hello, at Nick Alexander. Can I interest you into a very interesting Mercedes fandom period? You could still be on the panel sometime. <laughs> okay, okay j- just for the sake of all Hamilton fans everywhere, Nick, could I please urge you to not ever be a Mercedes or Hamilton fan? Please, thank you so much. Oh, okay, I can do that for you. It's just, you are cursed. <laughs> you you are an albatross. Around, like Red Bull were panicking when they heard you were moving over there. They've just thrown a celebration party that you are refusing to Frexit. All right, who's our next candidate, Matt? Uh, has to be Anton Beal. First time watching the live stream. I always listen to the podcast. God, Trumpets is a handsome devil. He didn't say that. That didn't happen. Did he say that? Yeah. People have just figured out that they get on the comment of the week shortlist by complimenting Matt. We're going to have to... I'm going to have to change this. I'm going to have to... Why not compliments for Spanners and my sexy, rough, cold-sounding voice? Uh, because there weren't any that I saw. Um, <clears throat> moving on yes, immediately. get on with it, you crazy uh, old man. Uh, Lord Nuker with worst part of the strategy was to give Leclerc a functional radio button to whine on. I mean, they could just turn it off. That is true. Go on. A little duet between Richard McGill and Eyehammer, where Richard goes, Botas equals slow tass. And Richard, oh. he replies, Eyehammer, he certainly didn't go tass. Oh. I just thought was funny. <laughs> These are Nick uh, Alexander level puns. Uh, Nicholas Andrew Grosjean's contract with Haas has a minimum DNF requirement. Don't, don't, don't. Let's not be mean to Grosjean. I, somehow, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. He's a dad. He's got like 18 kids now. But someone tell that guy to get a Netflix account and then concentrate on racing. Indeed. Anton Beal in with a more serious, no one wants to be goose. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Okay. And then finally, our friend Michael Diestelhoff replying to who knows what, but with we let our remaining hairs down, asterisk, which seemed vaguely appropriate. At least for me and you. Yeah, I got asked on another show earlier, will Formula One survive Brexit? And I paused for the longest time and pointed out as politely as I could that I had no strong opinions one way or the other. Who's our winner this week, Matt? Oh, that's going to be such a tough one. But I think we're going to have to go with Anton Beal. No one wants to be Goose. Anton, well done. Comment of the week. Okay, well, I think we've got a pretty relaxed week ahead, Miss Apex Wise. I caught up again with Brian Sims for a 20-minute chat about his time. Actually, he was the commercial director at Benetton when they were racing under their Italian license, so post-Schumacher years. He was also involved with Lola, so he knew the the setup for Lola Racing as the MasterCard's debacle began and he gave us a great insight into how the commercial funding of of formula one how this sounds dull but how it's changed from the tobacco era it was fascinating to hear the the way the teams had to adapt 
to no longer having the tobacco advertising. So um, we'll catch up with Brian midweek. I've already recorded it. I'll put it out midweek. Oh, Matt, we need to hook up. We need to do a Patreon podcast that talks about the karting weekend. It won't appear on this main feed. It'll be on the Patreon feed, but we'll make it so that anyone can listen to it because I want people to get excited about it and come to the next event. Uh, But also do go and check out on our YouTube channel. Look out for Missed Apex Karting at Buckmore Park, where we had an absolutely fantastic time. The video completely brings across the spirit of the day. You know, 55 people down there having a wonderful time, really well looked after by the magnificent staff at Buckmore Park. Thank you very much to Adam, who was our sales coordinator, and to Terry, who was a fantastic uh, race controller for the day as well. In fact, all the staff looked after as well there. They are not paying me to say this, but it is a beautiful track. Matt, this is going to sound stupid, but it feels like a... It feels like a real racetrack. So a lot of kart tracks feel like kart tracks. That that track somehow feels like a real racetrack and you can kind of kid on that you're a real racing driver going around it. Uh, yeah, it does. Especially what I love about it is the elevation change. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. When, you, when you're lighting it up down the hill. Yeah, in, well, in the yeah. Paddock, yeah. Yeah, there's a downhill sweeping section where you have to break downhill and changing direction and you're at full pelt before you go into it. And throughout the course of the day, I never got used to it. So every single time I was going, oh no, here we go. It's that bit again. Oh my God, this is terrifying. I could never be a real racing driver. I criticize them, but I'm full of it and I couldn't, I could never match them. I can't tie their boots, which is true. Uh, but yeah, great fun. So go and check out that video as well. Um, of course, we'll be back with our normal, a new show next Sunday. Wherever you catch up with us next, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, but glory last forever. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Oh my God, you guys, I was so brave. I was like super ill, but I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. And like, I got through it. Your job is to podcast, not whinge. (laughs) We will talk about this later, Spanners. Yeah, man. Yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.